All right. So uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Ready, set, go. Father, we thank you for this night. God, we're, we're grateful that you've brought, brought all of us here. You've, you've uh, drawn us here to hear more about you and to, uh, to learn of you and to be changed by you. God, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I tell you about, can I tell you about a job that I used to have? So it was at Houston's Restaurant. You ever heard of Houston's Restaurant? It was the one on Veterans in Metairie, not the, not the cool one in New Orleans on St. Charles Avenue. But one of the things we would do when we would go to Houston's and work at 10.15 in the morning, we would have what we call taste plate. And this is when the managers, all the cool kids, would gather around all of the food, and they would taste all of the food for the day. And so all of the serfs and the peasants, like me, who were not cool kid managers, I was 18 years old. What we would do is we would wait for all of the managers to finish tasting everything to make sure it was good for the day. Now, I'm talking like this for real, for real food, like filet mignon. If you've never heard of that, it's because you're in junior high. Your barbecue ribs, redfish, trout, pork chop, French dip, salad. All the parents in the house are saying, yo, you remember, you remember the Houston's lineup? All con- I mean, seriously, the food's like 38 bucks a plate kind of food. It's really, it's more expensive than your life. So real expensive stuff, not more valuable, just more expensive. You were free. God gave you to your parents. So after everything was over, the, the managers would let the food go off on the side and we would take it. It didn't matter if four of them jumped in on that steak, right? This was pre-COVID way back. You ate after each other way back then. And so we would take it into the back in the dish area. Now listen, it was way before open. So it wasn't gross to eat in the restaurant other people's food. There's some scenarios where it's okay to eat other people's food. So we would take it to the dish area and we would rip into this food. And I, for one, Man, I would crush on the ribs and the Hawaiian ribeye every single time. You know what I'm talking about. But there were people who could not care any less about the ribs and the ribeye. They wanted the braised red cabbage. They wanted the couscous, a Moroccan-style pasta. They wanted all the strange stuff and didn't appreciate the good stuff. And then there were some people who had allergies. I was one of those people. I'll take anything except the items with tree nuts on it. All sorts of preferences. Before it was cool to be a vegan, there was a vegan or two back then who would only eat the things that didn't have dairy on it, didn't have any type of egg or milk or anything like that. And they would, man, this is my thing. You know, like we, I would look and say, how do you not value that thing? That's so good. How come I love that thing, but you don't love that thing? You would throw that in the trash and not eat it? Like, and they're like, yeah, to me, that's no good. And, and things that I would eat, they would look and they would say, like, how come you're eating flesh of a cow? That's so weird. Oh, you like eating the flesh of a pig? That's also weird. And to me, I'm like, it's also delicious. So, yeah, I'm okay with eating all that kind of stuff. But lots of preferences. Lots of opinions. I remember at a young age engaging in like, man, you're different than me. Like you like different things than I like. And I like different things than you like. How about I was driving on power. It's like right at the border of Metairie and Kenner. Real cool street to drive on. So I'm driving on power the other day and I see this little car. 
And this little car is littler, littler than me. And it's got a muffler on it wider than me. And the car couldn't have been more than $1,500 or $2,000, but the tires and the wheels and the sound system and the muffler and all the tricked-out stuff that the car had was like $5,000 on top of a $1,500 car. And every time I see a car like that, and you know the car like this, you know the people who drive these types of cars, never be friends with these people unless they're your parents. Always be friends with your parents. And so I look at these cars and I say to myself, why would you do that? to the car. Like, just leave the car what it is. Don't. And if you would ask that person, they'd be like, why are you driving a car that doesn't have that? Right? Like, there's always preferences and opinions. I mean, you all have things that you like and things that you don't like. And we would spend money on things and others would spend money on other things. I look at that car and I'm like, that's a waste of money. Why would you? That's, that's garbage. You might as well have taken the three grand and put it in the trash. You're making yourself look silly by driving that car around. That's my opinion. But to some girl out there, she looks, and I don't know if any of y'all girls are like this, but she looks at a dude like that and is like, whoa, the man I've been praying for right there. Right? To some people, it's, it's good. To, to some people, it's not. By the way, any of you girls, is that you? So all of you guys who were thinking about it, just don't do it. So how about you ever come across a sibling or a friend and you watch them, particularly during the summertime, you, look, you watch them spend stupid time on stuff, like stuff that makes you mad type of time. You know what I'm talking about. Like you're just like, really? Again? Really? You idiot? Really? More time? More time? Have you been doing that since you woke up this morning? Or what about AirPods or devices, any form of technology that someone has and you're like, why do you not use that? You bought that for $150. You, gave, you were given that as a gift. You asked for it for a year. Why are you wasting it? Why are you just letting it sit there on the side? You're treating it like garbage. You're treating it like trash. If I had that, I would do different. I would be this way. This is what you should do. And then you end up getting in big fights over this type of stuff. Y'all know what that's like. Isn't it a satisfying fight to get in a fight over those types of things? But preferences, differences. Some people would call something trash. The other would call it of great value, great worth. And listen, for, the, for all of your life, there's going to be things like this that you're going to look around and say, I hate water. Why would you drink water? I drink Coke. I dr you drink Coke? I drink Pepsi. Man, I can't believe you're wearing that shirt. You look so terrible in that shirt. Why would you ever put that kind of makeup on? You need to get someone to do your hair for you. You look disgusting. There's always preferences, always differences, always things that we will never agree on, and that's okay. And there are some things that we can't agree on. There are some things that we should align with. A good question, though, is this. Who's to say what things we should agree upon and what things we should align upon? Who's to say that these things are good things and these things are bad things? And should kids ever, should adults ever align and do the same things? And who gets to make that call? Now, I'm very comfortable with you being a vegan and me being a meat eater or me being a vegan and you being a meat eater. That's okay. I don't think anyone's interested in making a call on that. But what about things that maybe matter a little bit more? Who gets to make these decisions? How do we know when we should step into decision-making mode to say, yeah, we actually have a, a reason to stand up 
here and to say that this is or is not true. One of the things that we're about to face is a, a bunch of people in this room who are no longer in high school, no longer in junior high. You have a little time off. You're about to make a decision on whether or not you should spend your summer this way or spend your summer that way. And to some of you, it's like, well, I would never do that. I would never go there. I would never sleep until that time. There are some things, though, that we can align on, and we can be similar and the same. And is there any way to find out what those things should be? The next two months of your life, is there anyone who has a say over the next two months of your life? Is there a way to waste your summer? Is there a way to just throw it away? Or is there, is there a way that you should spend your summer? Is there something that you should be doing? Like, hey, man, this isn't really something that you can just choose a muffler that size or that size, but you should be doing this. Um, the phrase, don't waste your summer, implies that there is a right or a wrong way to spend your summer. Don't waste it. That implies that there's a way you can waste it. And it also implies that there's a way you should spend it. And who's to say how you should spend or how you should waste the next two months of your life? Let me, like, let's jump into what I think society at large, culture at large, at least in the the U.S. or in the South, my understanding of kind of what they might say. So I wrote just a few things down that I have heard and that I've encountered and hung out with people who have belief systems that would encourage you in these ways. Live your truth. This is a super popular phrase. If you've never heard it, now you know. Live your truth. Huh? Live what truth? Well, your truth. What do you mean my truth? Well, whatever's on the inside of you, is true. And just live it. Have you, have you ever heard that phrase? Or another way of saying it might be, well, I'm a, and this is kind of if you're a cool guy, you might say, I'm a do me. And what comes next? You do you. And we're supposed to just walk away and be like, cool. I'm a do me and you. What do you mean? You're going to do you and I'm a do me. It's just the same thing. Whatever you think is good, right, and best is right. Here's another one. What's your, and if you haven't heard it, just hear it. Because this is what people in culture are saying. What's your lived experience? And what does that even mean? It's so, such a cool phrase. What's your lived experience, man? And it just means... The experiences that that you have had, that you have lived through, those things are true, right? It's just what's on the inside of you. Like if it, here's another one. If it feels good, do it. You've heard that. And so what all of these common phrases, and, and this is not just common in teenagers and probably less common in teenagers, but watch out because as you grow a little bit older, when you're hitting 19, 20, 21, when you get out of the covering of where you are today, you're going to engage this. And all of this stuff just says one thing. You decide. And no one, like your experiences, what you have lived through, those are true. Those are right. You do you, man. I'm going to do me. You like ribeye? Like your ribeye. That's fine. You like braised red cabbage? Enjoy your braised red cabbage. 
Who's to say it's right or wrong? But it's not just about food. It's about anything. It's about everything. It's about how you spend your summer. It's beyond your summer. It's how you spend your life. So where do you go and who do you go to to figure out how to waste your summer or how to not waste your summer? And I'm just telling you, like, here's the foot in the earth, and we're going we're gonna to give a different one. And this is the contrasting one, which would be the Scripture. But the foot in the earth, those who would be far from God and have a worldview that would say, God doesn't matter. They will tell you this. And so if you hear the echo of this in your brain, just remember where this is coming from. Society would tell you, those who might be far from God, who exempt God, who don't care about God, who think the idea of God is silly and just believe the science, and whatever the science is, and it always changes, just go with that. Those people would say, do you? Who cares what your parents say? Who cares what some book says called the Bible? Who cares what, what, you, what is objective truth, which is a, a standard of this is right and this is wrong? Let it be subjective. It's up to you. The Bible says something very different. And I, I, I can tell you for me, when I was 16, I came under that uh, understanding and 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 then followed up by the grace of God with a commitment to one truth. Because listen, I can tell you from when I was 16 to 26 to now 39 years old, all of the truths of society have swung so far, so far. When I was coming up, like the things that you guys are dealing with, we weren't even dealing with. We could say words and slang about people that nowadays, if you say you are like, the scum of the earth. And we were saying as kids, like, it was totally cool. And everyone thought it was cool. But 20 years later, if you say that, whoa, whoa, the new truth, here, listen up. You, you can't do that. Well, who says? Well, we say. Who's we? So someone's making up the rules. Whether you think, well, like, hey, like, I think culture and society are, like, progressively moving in a proper direction and things are right. And, look, I think this is good. Don't worry. Just hang around a little longer they will change. And so all I'm saying is their truth is never a constant truth. And by there, I mean just the world who would disregard the scripture. And so they're going to command that you live according to a certain truth now. And you're going to say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And then 10 years later, they're going to say, tricked you. Now you're going to live according to this truth. And if you follow them, this is what you're going to do. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Watch out, 10 years later, you're raising kids, and then your kids are going to be told, but no, 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 not like that anymore. It's like this now. And then you're just going to wake up one day, and you're going to be like, whoa, they got me. They got me. They used to tell me this, and then they told me that, and now they're telling me this, and man, I got to just keep up with what everyone says is right and good and true. The beautiful thing about the Christian faith is there is a truth, and this is the difference. The left foot says the truth is in you. The Christian faith, the scripture says the truth comes from outside of you, which means it doesn't change when you want to change. And you're actively making a decision every day, but your summer, the next two months, but look, it's so much bigger than don't waste your summer. You're actively deciding, I'm going to live according to a truth that is in me, that is going to change tomorrow, 
because of my preferences, because of my style, because of my experience and what I felt was right or wrong based on that experience. Because I watched another person, I thought they were kind of cool, and I looked at their clothes, and I thought to myself, hmm, I kind of like that. You wake up, and you're different. You listen to an album. I love music. And music changed me when I was a kid, man. If you would have looked at how I dressed at 12, and then you looked at how I dressed at 15, listen, just all you had to do is listen to the music I was listening to. And you would have seen like, oh, I bet you he likes a punk rock band. And, oh, I bet you he likes alternative. Oh, I bet you he likes emo. Oh, I bet you. And you see it. And all it is is just influences coming in, and then it's right here. I'm deciding my truth. The Bible is different comes from the outside of you. The comforting thing is, it doesn't change. So there's a way to waste your summer, according to the Bible. And I want to talk about just three quick ways that scripture would instruct us as to how to spend our summer. In contrast to that, I want to talk about the untruths that the culture might say, your friends, your music, the people on the news, the people in the media, social media, all of those the things that they might say, and then we'll look at it standing next to what God's word would say. And my hope is that you would walk out of here tonight and have some very simple, practical application to how to not waste your summer, but rather to live in this summer in a way that God would say, that is the way to spend your summer. Ready? Here's one kind of mentality. We're going to take a a look at the common untruths that students buy into about summer. And then we're going to set it next to that biblical one. The first one, it's just a statement. School is finally over. It's it's true, but this is it. And you, you know this feeling. School's finally over. But there's something on the other side of that. It's finally over. The most thrilling part about the summer for some is not having to go to school. This is the way to spend your summer. I get to not go to school. The problem is the excitement, it's so high at the end of school, but it never moves past what you're not going to do. I'm not going to school. And it just lands. Talking to one of my boys yesterday and one today. Just easy monologue conversation. Hey, you know the difference between you at the end of this summer and you at the beginning of the summer? You know what it is. It's what you do. And if you do nothing, you're just going to be the same kid. It's what you pray. If you pray nothing, you're not going to have faith in anything that God is having for you. If you read nothing, nothing's going, like, it's just, it's real simple. And so one, one option is just like, well, school's over. That's awesome. And that's it. And that's very accepted. It's very normal. It's very common. What's the untruth about this? This is the untruth. You don't need vision apart from what your teachers, parents, pastors, and leaders give you. So here it is. Look, 10 months out of the year, they tell me what to do. They give me vision. They say I should do this. I should be like that. 
And then finally, I get to wake up for two months and have no vision for my life. That's the untruth about the mentality that's like, finally. It's that it's okay to live a life with no purpose except to just not. The Bible stands next to that. I want to say this and then read a scripture about the biblical truth. God has a plan and a vision for your life. Did you know that? And you need to be reminded of that. He has a plan and a vision for your life. And guess what? It's not 10 months out of the year. These next two months, God has something for you. For real. There's like a plan. There's intentionality over these next two months. It's not just I don't have to go to school anymore. God just kind of wakes up on June 1 and is like, guess I'm going to just call it. I'll see you again August 1. It's going to be terrible, though, because it's the same thing as last year, but just another grade. What, a, what an awful way to think. And without maybe thinking that, that's kind of how maybe we feel. We, we could just detach. So he's given you vision for your, he has a vision for your life and you have a responsibility to pursue the knowledge of that vision and that plan. And then you have a responsibility to go and do it. Here's the truth. God has a plan and a vision for your summer. This is not his plan or vision. This is the untruth. You don't have to go to school anymore. That's not God. Cool. And, and I don't know what it is. We can talk, I'm going to give you a very practical thing, but you need to hear that truth first. He's engaged in your summer. He cares about the next two months. He cares in a real, real big way. And if you look outside at other people and you look inside at yourself, it's going to change the entire summer. And next summer, guess what, y'all? It's going to be different then. And then it's going to be different again. And then you're going to get married one day and you're going to wake up one way. And then six months later, you're going to be a different person to your spouse. And the same thing's just cycles. And then you're going to have kids. And one day you're going to wake up and be kind. And the next day you're going to wake up and you're going to be different. It's because you were practicing during your summer on how to be whatever you felt like being. And it was more about not being anything than being anything. And God is, God has a plan. Pursue the knowledge. Pursue the doing of that thing. The scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You have to see that everything you do this summer matters to God in the sense that we should hope that our summer magnifies him. It makes much of who he is as if to say, you have a plan for me and I want to make much of you and your plan for me. That's a different way versus I don't have to go to school. It's going to be great. And look, I know most teenagers fall into this category. 
and often don't take it too seriously. Just think like, ah, it's so cool. It's not cool to wake up in that category. What is cool is every single thing you do. Everything this summer. It matters. It matters. So how do you pursue the knowledge? And how do you show the effort? Just real simple. And you can do this. You can write this down. Observe your time and your tasks, the things you do, that you are already responsible for, and give it 100. Give it 100. What are the things that are already in your hands that can make much of God? Here's a better question maybe for some of you. Do you even know? And if you don't know, that's why I said pursue the knowledge of what it is that God has given you for this summer. And then go all out and give it 100% of your effort into those things and do them well. So listen, talk with, I talk with my boys all the time about grass cutting because it matters, man. After we cut the grass, they'll cut the grass and then I'll weed eat and blow and we'll step back and we'll just look. How many times I've done this to them? Like, you see that line? You see how perfect that line is? And then that night we'll drive home and I'll, Ashley will be sitting in the front seat and I'll say, hey, Ashley, you see how nice that edging line is? Look at that grass. Doesn't that, isn't that awesome? Isn't it a big deal that it's not sloppy, that it's perfect and it's not, but it feels perfect. And all that is, is me saying everything we do matters. And if I go out there and cut sloppy and raise kids who just don't care, and it's like, whatever, I'm just going to cut the grass. It doesn't matter. Like, man, I can't impress you enough. The the people in life who follow after God should have this mentality. Everything you do, do it for God. So you might say, well, I'm just watching my brother this summer. Great. How would it look if you did it for God? Well, all I'm doing is just like helping my parents around the house clean. Whoa! How could you clean in a way that would honor God? And it starts getting fun. You have a neighbor, or you have someone down the street, or you have some experience in here, or some opportunity, and you start looking through the lens of, what would it be like if I engaged this to give God big worship through that thing? All I have is practice for baseball. So great, do it in a way that honors God. Give it everything you got. All to God's glory. Make much of him during this summer. Second thing, here's another mentality. I get to rest for two months. I get to sleep in. I get to stay up late. I get to do lots of video games, lots of social media. And you're right. And to a certain degree, Don't tell your parents, but you should. Like you should enjoy this season of rest. You should. But is it, is there ever a place where you start enjoying your season of rest that it just goes into wasting your summer? And I think it does. What's the untruth? Here's the untruth. It is okay to turn to technology, entertainment, 
and laziness during the summer. You give yourself a pass. I, listen, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like when I'm working hard. Actually, Gabe and I were driving home from work today. He worked. And I was pulling up at the house. I was like, dude, you see, you know, see what we did today. You see how this matters. You see, like, this is a lot of work. You're trying to build and go and do. You see that? And then I pulled out my phone. I was like, and now i got a little time for social media. And that moment, like, to catch up on NBA basketball playoffs was like, that's cool for me. Because I want to know what's going on in the NBA playoffs. And that's okay. And you're going to have more time. You're going to work some, but, man, you're going to have some leisure. And do it, man. Do enjoy your leisure. But the untruth is that it's okay to just waste your whole summer on that leisure. And what's the, what's the biblical truth here? And this is the truth. Turn to Jesus when you need rest. For some of you, that doesn't compute during summer. And we want to just briefly talk about what that even means. So you, you're in a season of rest. Man, I've been working so hard. School, school. i got to get up every morning at 5.30. i got to get on the bus. Or my parents wake up, I stay home, and they got me on this strict regimen, and blah, 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 blah. And I finally just get to rest. Yes, that's good. But I want to encourage you, more than anywhere else, to be sure, rest in Jesus What does that mean? I kind of don't know, but I know what the scripture says about it. And for you and for me, it might, it's a little bit different. And I'm certainly not a pro on what it looks like to rest in Jesus. It sounds kind of weird, but the Bible does say this. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What you're looking to do when you come off of school is just hang. What you're trying to do is get into a season of just hang. But the truth of the word is this. The most pleasant place to hang is with God. And that doesn't look like 24-7 engaging God. I'm not, I'm not trying to be weird about it. But it certainly doesn't look like social media Entertainment, laziness, late nights, late mornings, and that's it. It doesn't look like that. So what does it look like to rest in Jesus? Just very simple. Worship, word, prayer, and friendship. And these are four simple things that I want to encourage you to engage What does it look like this summer on your own, by yourself, to worship God? Playing a song, if you play an instrument, and just singing to God. What's that look like? I know what this looks like. I know what this looks like. Do you know what this looks like? Worshiping God by yourself in your room. The word. I know that social media is going to be okay, but is there any Bible reading because the outside world is going to tell you all about their truth and then it's going to change in a decade. But there's a constant truth. So if you want to know how to rest in Jesus, worship, word, prayer. I don't know how to pray. That's okay. Real simple. Hey, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Kind of want to be more hungry for you. I feel like I'm a lazy dude. 
I don't even know what I'm saying right now. God, change me. Give me hunger for you. When I'm at church, like, I don't know, help me connect with it. I don't know what I'm saying right now. God, like, I'm just making that up, but it's like, it's not complicated. It's a sincere heart that just wants to, like, be honest. And then you grow and you mature, just like you have friendships. And you're like, man, like, it's really weird talking to you in the beginning. And then now you're starting to, like, man, we kind of say this. We finish, finish each other's sandwiches. Like, we say the same things. And that's what it's like to relate to God. And if your summer is exempt of worship and word and prayer, dare I say you're wasting your summer. Last thing, friendship, man. The Bible uses this really whack word called fellowship. What is that? It's just like friendship with other people who love God. Friendship with other people who you can get around and say like, you too, me too. You're dealing, me too. You'll not, me, you'll not pray either. I don't either. You want to learn together? We're going to hang out at Friday night. We're all going to the Canela's house. We're going to just learn to be friends. Or here's a better idea. Just stay home and be a weirdo by yourself. I'm just, I'm just joking. Like you're not a weirdo by yourself, but like, that's like the alternative, right? And so if you want to know how to lean into this summer in a way that is not wasted, um, I was talking with someone last week about the weirdness of being vulnerable in a group of people is someone in here. Like, like it's just weird, isn't it? So like open your mouth and say things about your life to people you don't know. How stupid does that feel? And they're like thinking you're strange for even saying it. And you feel weird being in the group where they're even saying it to you. And you're like, oh, I just want to get out of here. You ever felt that way? That's a good thing. Lean into those moments. This is what we're doing next week here. Small groups. That's not a wasted summer. You can get around people and hear their story and share your own. This is a summer that is filled with good things. So worship, word. Prayer, hanging out with friends, those who are, who are Christians and challenging you to grow. Last one. Here's number three. Do as little as possible. Do only what your parents force you to do, but no more. Such as, can you please take out the trash? <sighs> can you please take the dog for a walk? Can someone else please take the dog for a walk? I did it yesterday. You know, can you, can you go bring your nasty, skanky clothes down to the laundry room? Why? I don't want to do anything. You know the feeling? Yes. That's a way, that's a sure way to waste your summer. I'll just wear the same clothes. I'd rather not even go into the laundry room. A sure way to waste your summer. What is the untruth here? This is it. This is big. For real, like this is big. Here's the untruth about that. You're like, I just want to do as little as possible. No big deal, right? Here's the untruth. Assume that little to nothing is 
ever expected from you as a person. Assume that little to nothing is, is needed from you, expected from you. Think about the type of person who grows up thinking to themselves, nothing is needed from me. I'm going to do as little as possible. Think about the coworker you've ever had or the, the student next to you who's like, I want to do as little studying as possible. And what's the answer to the test, please? You know those people? Those people probably during their summertime, you know what they do when they're asked to take out the trash? <sighs> I'm not saying you, but those types of people who do that in school, they grow up thinking to themselves, nothing's expected from me. I don't owe anyone. I don't have anything. No value. This is what it turns into. I have no value to give. I'm not that important. Just practice that laziness long enough, and this is how you're going to see yourself. I don't really matter that much. People don't really care about me that much. I don't really add a lot to people. There's not much I can do. Turns into a pity party. You start feeling bad for yourself. But a lot of times it started way back living in untruth that sounded like, I don't want to. Why do I have to? I want to do as little as possible. That progressed and became an animal and ended up saying, because you've done nothing, you feel no value and no worth. There's a biblical truth that stands apart from that way of being. And some of you know what that feels like. And you're lazy and passive at times. And you know what you go through for days and weeks at a time where you just feel no worth. In God, that's not the story, though. So what is the biblical truth? God expects you to take care of what he has given you. You're not just a kid. You've been given gifts. You've been given worth and value. Words, time, energy, all the things that you have been given. God expects something from you. And it's a lot, man. And it's an honor. You have great value in God's eyes. He sees you as the way he made you is good. And he is walking you on a path to become more like him. And you know what it looks like a lot of times? Doing a good job at grass. That's what it looks like. Taking trash out with a heart that says, I'm happy to help. You walk back in, you look at your mom, and you see, man, she's happy that I helped her. And all of a sudden, you're filled with some weird, like, I matter. It's because God gave you gifts to give and serve your family and your community. And when you give and serve people, you start feeling like you're who God has created you to be. But if you shut that stuff down and you don't serve and you don't give, you start feeling like you don't matter. And to some degree, to many, many people, you don't. Your mom and dad don't think that about you. Aunt and uncle maybe not. Maybe your grandparents. But man, outside of that, you're right. And then you go to work one day and you're not a good coworker, man. You get married one day and you're just not helpful as a husband. This is how stuff breaks as adults. This isn't like, it didn't like start when someone was 19. It's when they were 13. It's when they were seven. It's when they were 15, 16 years old. On the journey of life, they were making decisions. 
to do what God had asked them to do, to pursue the knowledge of their calling and the vision that God had for their lives, and to actually do the work and to, to be honorable and obedient to parents. Like They were doing that kind of stuff along the way, and these people grow up in ways looking like Christ. It's not about success now, you're a good worker, but you have been conformed to the image of God. And whether you think or feel like that's exciting, it is the most exhilarating thing as as an adult to know you have purpose, man. To know you matter, to know God has his hand on your life and you're obedient to the call that he has. There's nothing more important. And you're practicing that stuff every single day. God expects a lot from you. Not in a heavy way, not in a furrowed brow way, but he's given you so much and he wants you to give. Number one, to make him famous. Number two, to serve other people. And you know what, as a result, there is pleasure in honoring God. Internal pleasure, great joy as a result of those things. So if you look in the mirror and you're sad, listen, listen, if you're sad, Just backtrack to some of this stuff I've been talking about. If you can't smile, if you look and you're just not happy, there's reasons for that stuff. And I'm not going to discredit that there there can be some things in the body that throw some things off kilter, but there's very biblical reasons. And these are the things we're talking about tonight. So it says this, 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price. You know that? The value in you is great in such a way that God purchased you. The value that he sees inside of you as his creation, as his image bearer. Not just who you are, but that you reflect who he is, who he is. He purchased you. He bought you. You know what the price was? His son. It was a big old debt, man, that somebody had to pay. And here, let me let you in. You think you're bad? You are. You think you don't have what it takes? You don't. Neither do I. So am I. Apart from Christ. But in Christ, in Christ, those things are not true of us. In Christ, we are made new. We are purchased. We're bought. And so what does he go on to say? So glorify God in your body. Here's a different, like, person who's got that mentality, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have a purpose, man. I'm not just trying to lay back. I've been bought. Like, how can I glorify God in my physical body? Man, I wish I had nine arms to take nine bags of trash out right now. Because what can I do to say thank you for all that you've done for me? See, this isn't a, like, imagine your parents at that point. They're looking, they're standing back and they're saying, wow. And it's not because I've been a good parent. I haven't changed. Something's changed inside of them. Different. They even cut the grass right now. They even make their bed. They even change their clothes. It's different because you see through God's eyes, you are purchased, man. So how do you take care of what God has given you? Incline yourself to the truth. 
that God has attached you to everything that you are attached to. Everything that God has attached you to, your family, your home, your school, your church, God has put you there. So lean in on it. Don't back away and just come every now and then. Lean in heavy. Glorify God in your body. Do stuff. Recognize that you're bought with a price. His body, your body rather, is his. Think about how God gave Adam and Eve three things. Each other, himself, and a job. He has done the same for you. He's given you himself. He's given you relationships around you. He's given you a job. And what did God, God had big expectation on Adam and Eve. And the same thing is going on with you. Him, others, work, do it all to God's glory. Do it all big, man. It matters. So a final truth to encapsulate all of these other truths. There's nothing, nothing, nothing you can do that will please God when it comes to your relationship with him. You can't cut the grass straight enough. There's nothing you can do that's going to make God happy. You can't be better. You can't wake up one day and decide to read your Bible and all of a sudden God's God's like, finally, you dummy, you're getting it. Or you go worship or you go pray, you go hang out. None of that stuff turns God's head and says, oh, finally, now I like you. I want to be clear. This is not about working harder for God or for your parents or for people, wasting your summers. It's not about being active, active. None of this stuff matters. When, God, when it comes to how God sees you. These are true things to do and be. But it doesn't, these things don't dictate our acceptance by God. Period. His judgment toward you is simply based on what Christ has done for you. So don't go, waste, don't go not waste your summer and be like, Dude, I'm going to just go so hard. This summer is going to be so different. And I'm going to be so much better. And I'm going to go into my freshman year and no one's going to recognize me. And I'm going to become the man of God that every real woman of God wants. And my parents are going to be so proud of me. There's a lot of people pleasers probably in here. It's not going to work. That's not the point. The only thing that works is the truth. That God judges you based on what Christ has done for you. The number one way to not waste your summer is to accept that. God loves you because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you have or have not done. And what Jesus has done, remember the world would tell you truth after truth after truth after change, change, different, 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 conform, conform, conform. (laughs) One truth. Jesus paid a price for you that you deserved. Because your sin is awful. And you can't go summer of 2021 and make them finally like you. It's because of what Jesus has done. So for the rest of your life, you live on this narrow path of understanding. I don't have to make all these. I don't do these things to make happy. Jesus proved God's love. I am accepted, cared for, approved of beautiful, good enough, smart enough, all the things that you hope to one day be and you're going to go try and do to get there, it's only because of him. That's the number one thing you can do to not waste your summer. Engage that truth. And out of that truth comes this. God, you bought me. 
God, you did something for me. Now what? That's what it sounds like. Now what? Just sit here and just kind of like, school's over. Is that what? Based on that truth, is that what? How do I do as little as possible? No garbage, no garbage, no garbage. No, I don't want to do anything. Someone else, someone else. Is, is Based on that truth, is that what? Because if that's what you want me to do, I'm good at that. What? What's the truth? So glorify God in your body. Whatever you do with all of your heart, do it for God. This sounds different, right? And it's not to gain his acceptance. It's stewarding things well. It's understanding that he has given you these things to steward, to take care of. So ball out and do them well, man. So pray because God has done so much for you through Christ. So worship because of that. Read your word. Hang out with people. Become vulnerable and honest and transparent because of what he's done. That's fun. It's better than ice cream in 10 minutes. So I want to say this over you and then Val. Where are you at, Val? Val, come on up. Come on up. Val's about to jump in and like take over. You ready to boss? You ready to be a boss? Come on up. But I want to say this. I want to say this truth over you. Jude chapter 1 verse 24. Just join me, Val. Come on right up here. You can read along. Not out loud. Yeah. Please don't point at my paper, Val. Jude chapter 1, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Man, let's make much of that God who can save us in that way. We're going to pray. And then Val is going to boss us around. Y'all ready? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And your word is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. Your word does not change. And God, man, wow, do we take comfort in that. We're going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be different somewhere else. But not with you. God, help these students to not waste their summer. God, fill them with hunger for you and a reminder of what you have done for them through your son, Jesus. And God, fill them with a sense of purpose and mission and passion and let them spread the light that you have given them this summer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Val's going to take it from here. All right. Amen. Don't really know how to follow that one, Brother Aaron. Um, I did, we do have a, a few people who are going to be speaking as well. If you'd like to come up right now. Maybe form a line. I was thinking this way. Yeah. Um, 
This is for you, Evan. Ime. Yeah, actually, if you could pull your chair out right there. <laughs> the guest of honor. Um, we just wanted to share, like, a memory or something we've learned from you in all the years that you have been our youth pastor. You've blessed us with your presence. Um one thing that I thought of just right off the bat was just the friendly competition that you bring to every youth game. Seems like it's always you and I just facing it off. You know, that one uh, Spoons game way back. I was, I think, freshman year. It was uh, pretty intense, actually. Final two may have been. No, it was the first pool party. Yeah, and uh, you beat me, and I was mad. That's all you got to know about that one. Um, Also, the paintball. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think I won that one, but uh, I did end up leaving. Just acting like a Christian. Good Christian that I am, I left the competition. I let you win. That was it. But in all seriousness, you've really like poured into our lives for so many years, and um, we just want to let you know that we appreciate it so much, and like just how you've made it fun for like opening up your home to us and like just giving us the time and energy that it takes to set everything up every week and all the years that you've just really dedicated your life to ours. Um, We thank you, Evan. So I just want to talk a little bit about what a very valuable lesson that I think Evan has taught me. So one Sunday after church, I'm like, all right, I have a few questions. I'm going to go ask Evan. I'm like, okay. So I'm standing behind a bunch of very important people in our church. Y'all know who they are. So I'm standing behind them, getting kind of nervous to ask my question to Evan. And then the next service is starting. And, you know, I just kind of just like start walking to my car. I'm like, oh, I'll just ask him another time. He comes running out the building asking me my question. And this may seem like a simple thing to y'all, but it's just something that Evan does. He always, always, always runs after us. He asks us if we have questions. He always has biblical answers for us. So then he stopped me and he asked me a question. Can't even remember it now. Probably wasn't very important, but that's just something that Evan does is he makes every single one of us feel important. And me as just a young girl in the church, didn't always feel that important, didn't feel like my questions mattered or my answers mattered or opinions mattered. And Evan just showed me that everyone matters. And that's a lesson that I'm going to take throughout my life that no matter if you're young or old or important in our church or not or whatever, you matter. And Evan's gonna, Evan has taught me to make sure that I make everyone feel mattered. So thank you, Evan. One thing that Evan has taught me is to go out of my comfort zone and to be a leader when I don't feel like speaking up. And um, 
one story that I have is a couple months ago, we were planning an event, and there was a lot of people who I had asked to serve, and I was not comfortable with asking them. And so there was this one person in particular who I hadn't seen a couple Sundays in a row, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to ask Evan to reach out to them. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, I haven't talked to them in years. They probably don't even know me. Like, this is going to be really weird. And so I go up to Evan. I'm like, hey, like, I didn't get an answer from this person. Like, I didn't ask. Like, would, would you be willing to do that? And he didn't get my hint, and he was like, um, here, I'll send you their number, and I'm going to make you text them, ask them to serve. And I was just like, wow, like, he knows, like, how to push me and how to make me, like, uncomfortable, but, like, in a good way to, like, make me learn and, like, stretch me. And so that has been a really good lesson for me. Um, One thing Evan has taught me is selflessness. Um, Because I remember every Thursday I would go to work with my mom. And Evan would always come and find me in the hall and ask me how I was doing and get in my world when I didn't really know him that well before I was in youth. And then when I got in youth, he really um, involved me and always came and found me and asked me if I had questions or if I needed help with anything. And um, also, I do enjoy your competition at volleyball. Very fun. Um, And so I just want to thank you for everything you've done for me and for everyone else. Okay, so my family has this thing where we start shaking whenever we talk in front of people, so I'm <laughs> going to try to get over that. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank, say thank you for teaching all of us the Word of God for all these years. Um, and I remember you camp focus the other year, like a couple years ago, when we were playing the Tiki Torch game, and I had cut my toe open because we were playing before the day before you camp, and I needed six stitches. And so I was like begging you to go on, you said no a couple of times. And then I went and asked Ms. Patrice, she was like, yeah, go ask Evan. I was like, I just asked him like three times. She was like, go ask him again. So I went and asked him again, and he was like, oh, sure, yeah, finally you can go on. And I was like, okay, and he goes, stay away from the lake. So I stood away from the lake, but I accidentally like stepped into a big puddle of mud. <laughs> but <laughs> thank you for all that, and yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So I wanted to say thank you, Pastor Evan, for helping me through the difficult times of my life and showing me a better way to handle with my anger and anxiety. I'm also very grateful for the example and the leadership that you have shown to myself as well as the youth and the church, I'm sorry, and the adults of this church. You have been a very important part of my life and I've turned more friends into family and I hope that this is as the Lord guides your steps and blesses your work. Well, this is uh, awkward. Someone told me this was going to be a roast session, so I don't know what I'm doing. Up here. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think I'm one of the only kind of graduating people that I've had Evan the entire time uh, through my life. I had him for about six years in youth, but like all around together, I think around 10 years um, as a teacher. Um, over the years, I've really witnessed the care Evan has for this group, whether it be um, fun events that he uh, made for us and promoting it with cringy photos like the 80s skating night. If you know, you know. Um, but especially during 
Yeah, it's there forever. Uh, especially, especially during um, a pandemic, I think he could have taken the easy way out and just said, well, let's just close youth and wait for everything to get um, taken care of. But he went out of his own way to figure out how can we still meet without meeting in person. So that's, you know, even though Zoom wasn't the ideal way to meet, he still find, or found the way to get us all together and learn how to work Zoom, how to work recording things, how to do live streams. And so um, I think we overlook that sometimes. That took a long time. Um, I have a couple thank yous that I need to say. I want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to play in the band um, and making you and the band sound worse uh, my first couple weeks here. Um, I want to thank you for reaching out to me and always asking and checking up on me, how's this going, how's school going, you know, are you still keeping up? Um, I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, I know that's a small one, but it's still, yeah, uh, and listening and giving me your time for ideas that I have for this youth group, and hey, can we do this, or can we do that, and using some of my ideas, even though all of them are probably not the best. Um, also, thank you for the advanced sermons that probably no one understands in this room, but we uh, all love it. So other than that, I just want to say thank you for being a friend and a great teacher. So thank you, Evan. All right. Y'all can grab a seat. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Val, boss mode. Good job, Val. That was great. That was good. Let me just point something out. Can we just use him as like a visual to remember? Uh, two things. Number one, thank you. Um, I appreciate all that you have done. And I know all of you, I mean, that's just six people represent. So uh, much, much appreciation for, for the time that you've been faithful. Always look for things like this, like things that happen and try to learn something. You guys have seen Evan probably and you thought to yourself, man, he's like kind of like a He's on another level. He's like a holy dude. He works in a church. He's a preacher. What you never know is, so where he's headed now, and this, is, this should be common, he's going to work a regular job. And he's the same dude who's really on another level and holy and different, right? That's common. So just remember, you had a youth pastor who was a commendable, respectable, honorable guy. You just had a normal job at some point. That's going to be your story too. A lot of times we just have very normalized. I, I do donuts, y'all. What? <laughs> Stupid. It doesn't really matter, does it? Right? But man, the thing he's about to go and do matters. Matters. So just use that as a visual. Remember that you're no different than Evan. You're no different than me. You're no different than anyone in that regard. Let's celebrate Evan in the way that seems to be the most appropriate way. Did you know that Evan loves ice cream? You can't tell by his figure, but he eats a few gallons a night of ice cream. Lots of ice cream. So I think we have this killer ice cream bar set up on the outside with lots of fun stuff. So please hang around. All of the ice cream and the snacks, adults in particular, God did a miracle. There are zero calories in all of the stuff we're about to go eat. So let's just thank them on our way out. And I guess we'll all go ahead and jump up.
Y'all give Evan a hug. Y'all give him a, gra- a big old, and let's go get some ice cream.